Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Tech Show. I'm your host, John Meyer. And this week-long series is where we're hearing from public cloud leaders and experts on multi-cloud. Is it worth it? What is it? Can enterprise companies really successfully implement multiple cloud solutions? Should it be a bottom-up approach and not a top-down? Now, if you're interested in listening to other public cloud leaders on multi-cloud or digital transformation, take a look up here. And you want to stick around because you're going to want to hear what they have to say on multi-cloud and is it really worth it? In our previous episode, we used Google's definition of multi-cloud. Multi-cloud is a use of multiple cloud computing and storage services in a single architecture. This also refers to the distribution of cloud assets, software applications across several cloud hosting environments. Now, today we're taming the cloud, or in this case, multiple clouds with an expert cloud tamer around their thoughts on multi-cloud. But before we bring our next guest on, how about you click that like, subscribe, and notification button because we have more content on the way. Now, how about we hear from public cloud experts and leaders around their thoughts on multi-cloud? Join us today is CEO and co-founder of Cloud Tamer, Brian Price. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, John. No, great to be here. Uh, congrats on the, the, the new role. Really excited to talk about today's topic. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. The new role's doing awesome. Real quick, would you mind giving the audience a little backstory on yourself and Cloud Tamer before we jump into our current topic of multi-cloud? Yeah, no problem. So uh, I'm Brian Price, uh, co-founder and CEO here at Cloud Tamer. Uh, my background actually came up in the software development ranks, hands-on, got exposed to uh, cloud in the early uh, days. You know, I can't believe it's been, I think, 15 years since uh, AWS kind of came on the scene and, uh, you know, got a chance to experience what it was like to even in the very early days of a large company I was a part of uh, trying to manage and, and uh, just control their cloud environment and enable developers to have, you know, access, but not, you know, too much access that kind of causes them to kind of fall out of uh, compliance and standards. So, um, you know, since uh, that point, you know, kind of uh, we've, we've gone off and, uh, you know, built out Cloud Tamer. And what Cloud Tamer does is we're a software company. Uh, we help customers uh, basically grow and control their overall cloud environment, being able to provide kind of the key governance and management capabilities that most organizations need, especially in a multi-cloud world, which you know is where we're going to be focusing a lot of today's kind of conversation. So we help, you know, with areas around financial management, automation orchestration, and ultimately security and compliance and bring all of those in, into a single pane of glass to help organizations make better decisions and grow their cloud accordingly. So Brian, you touched on a couple of questions really that I'm going to have today from security compliance, governance with multiple cloud. But before I get to that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd like to understand what is your thoughts on multi-cloud or your definition around multi-cloud? Yeah, so I mean, I think the very truest literal definition, right, it's using more than one cloud provider, right? But I, I think that the unfortunate, um, I'd say perception differences that we see is uh, some organizations think multi-cloud literally means I can take and run all their workloads in any of the cloud providers and there isn't a functional or uh, other broader impact. And, and I, I think that's kind of a, unfortunately, just a, a, a wrong view of that. Um, you know, the cloud providers themselves have got, got amazing services that you can build on top of and those services unlock innovation in organizations. And so from a multi-cloud perspective, the way I always like to kind of think about it 
Um, it really just means there's options for customers to be able to use the best technology, the best platform for their specific needs, maybe even for their specific application needs. Um, you know, and I think under that lens, you know, organizations can be very successfully implementing multi-cloud. Now, um, you know, maybe to go to the next level here, but I, I do think, you know, to do that effectively, there is some management concerns that you have to keep, keep in mind. Um, AWS is very different than Azure. It's very different than Google. Um, and you need to make sure you kind of keep all of that uh, in context and, you know, make sure that at the same time, you know, you're not putting kind of the your, your hands behind uh, you're back, you know, when it comes to developer innovation, if there are some very specific services that would allow a specific team or a specific, you know, project to move further faster uh, in the cloud. Um, Brian, you mentioned a couple, I got a very key conversation. Uh, I was talking with the CTO advisor yesterday for a recording on multi-cloud. By the way, folks, take a look up here. If you want to see that recording, but also he touched on and talked about people are selecting multiple cloud environments, not for the right reasons. And meaning that they're afraid of maybe vendor lock or trying to save or, you know, trying to, you know, utilize uh, more cost savings in it. And, but they're not using the services that are available. You should be selecting maybe a multi-cloud based off the services. And you just, you just mentioned it. Some of those key services that people select uh, you have the best technology and not one cloud provider provides it all in encompass. And that might be the reason that you're using, you know, uh, a multiple cloud environment. The other thing you touched on was the security aspect. Now, knowing what Cloud Tamer does, I'm curious if you've seen or have helped with a multi-cloud implementation on security and governance controls. You know, completely. I mean, and that's, I would say, uh, what a lot of our customers really come to us with. And it's, you know, really around, you know, making sure that in some cases they've maybe made an investment early on in AWS, right? Because AWS was around earlier and, you know, it's, has, has such a large market share, right? And they're looking at now enabling, say, some Google Cloud services for, again, very specific, you know, kind of purpose-built workloads. And in that process, what they want to make sure is, there is a consistency for their organization, right, in terms of how they go about, you know, getting into the cloud, how the enterprise experience of using the cloud really, uh, really works, right? And so from a security and governance and compliance perspective, uh, what we try to do is kind of boil all of those into, um, you know, kind of these common rule sets, common engines, we call them cloud rules inside of CloudTamer.io. And, and the, 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 the idea behind it really is, that you know, a cloud rule can consist of an AWS IAM policy. Um, it can consist of you know uh, Google as well. You know their equivalent. It can consist of a cloud formation template to set up infrastructure in a predefined way. It could also at that same time consist of say like a deployment manager template in Google or um, you know ARM template in Azure, right? And all of that gets kind of bundled together so that you know at the end of the day there is a consistent approach across the cloud providers based on what service and what provider is being used for a specific application. Um, and, and that's really where there's a huge amount of power, I think, that we find a lot of our customers to be able to go from, you know, an AWS shop, you know, into being able to support a, a multi-cloud uh, environment that's going to give a department or, you know, a new project some real innovation potential, right? And I, th I think, you know, today, the customers that we support we rarely see, um, you know, a customer saying, I am 
you know, 100% all into a single cloud provider. They may be 95% into a cloud provider, but there's still that little piece that usually is available for, again, different teams that maybe have those requirements, but not allowing um, those teams to potentially compromise the overall security of the overall cloud environment. And before I touch on the different teams, because I have a question around teams and those skill sets, you mentioned security. And speaking of that, what about just at the providing access level to just the multiple cloud environments? And I'm talking just the console itself to deploy out services and utilize them. I know most of them or all of them support SSO integration, but how many of those cases do you really see local users still have access and are being utilized? Uh, more, more than we should. Uh <laughs> You know, uh, and, and I think that that's one of those things where, you know, in a perfect world, you know, you have your root credentials, you, you know, have them locked up into a filing cabinet somewhere, maybe with MFA, hard MFA tokens, if, you know, you, even in the old days of, of AWS, and, and, and you never kind of touch those. Uh, but, but there are still a lot of organizations that, you know, and again, maybe they, they were just moving really quick, or they just wanted to get something stood up in a very quick manner but they still don't have everything kind of central connected to their SSO providers. And that's, and that's a big miss, right? Because at the end of the day, the last thing you want is a person, let's just say they leave an organization and there are these extra keys, maybe it's access keys, maybe it's IAM users, maybe it's uh, you know, so, some, other, some other method, right? And, and they're just persisting in the environment without someone or something or some automation. And again, there's some great just cloud native tools that are out there that can help do these checks. But just to make sure that, you know, you don't have an unintentional risk of someone leaving the organization and not going through that kind of central point. Um, you know, one of the things that we also kind of advise is, you know, again, if you're going to use a solution, you know, like Cloud Tamer, then there's others that, that are out there as well. But, you know, kind of use that approach if you can behind a central kind of access point into the environment that all begins to tie all your users into some sort of trusted identity. Like one of our customers is an example. Um, you know, they uh, have three different methods that they can ensure that people authenticate. So uh, it can be username and password, it can be, you know, uh, with an RSA token, and then it can be, um, you know, with, uh, you know, a, a, a smart card or HSPD 12, you know, kind of card, right? And so each one of those institutes a different confidence level. And that confidence level then drives additional permissions of what that person can do. So if they're logging in, you know, as an example, our application, right? And they're just with the username and password, they have kind of this read-only view of what, what's going on. If they log in with that next level of, you know, kind of assurance that they're using MFA, right? Then that gives them additional permissions. And so by kind of tying all that together, it really makes it so the kind of identity pieces of kind of the cloud, um, you know, kind of cloud users getting in the environment becomes much more assured and organizations can have a lot more confidence that if somebody leaves or you need to turn off access or something happens, right? You've got a central place to do that that ties into everything else. When you need new users provision, it's not a separate process to go per cloud account and do that. And, and taking those types of routine tasks and automate them, automating them are super critical, especially in a multi-cloud world, because the last thing you want to do is have an AWS team, a Google team, an Azure team that all have to do the same types of actions every time a new person comes on board. 
Okay, uh, that actually touched on this, the next question I have with the multiple cloud and skill sets and security. I'm gonna tie this question all together. Okay, so I'm utilizing a multiple cloud environment. Let me just take two clouds because uh, having four different groups or whatever, uh, AWS and Azure, all right? I have my two you know, multi-cloud environments. Now I have a security policy for each one that is different because both clouds do not have the same type of policies. Well, guess what? What about the person behind the scenes configuring it? Do I need to hire now on the security expert for AWS and a security expert for Azure? And then they all roll up to a main person, the CISO, who is going to governance and control those. Now, the question is having multiple skill sets, but now what about training multiple people, having double the amount of people or having a generalist who doesn't, is not an expert in all of it? I mean, that, that to me sounds like you're spending more money on people to manage it rather than utilizing the environment. It certainly can, you know, and again, there are some technologies that can help bridge the gap there. Um, you know, in, in some cases, uh, as an example, we uh, leverage underlying into our platform, um, you know, a library called Cloud Custodian that begins to kind of bridge some of the, the checks that you can do across the environments into, you know, kind of common YAML um, languages. And, and, and that can help, right? And there's, you know, continued more support in that open source project to be able to, to do more and more. And, you know, we're constantly contributing back to that too. But uh, it, it definitely becomes an area where depending on the, the amount of workloads and the criticality of those workloads, and that's why I think it, you know, kind of bubbles into kind of maybe some broader security uh, premises here, right, uh, is, you know, making sure that you do have the right, the right experts, right? Um, you know, I, I do believe in, you know, it's an approach that we even take internally is, you know, you, you want to have some people with some specialties, right? But you also want to make sure that you don't, uh, you know, you can, you can continue to cross train folks as well in your organization. Um, you know, we, as an example, we have a person that, you know, is very fluent in Azure, right, uh, on our DevOps team and is helping to continually build out more policies. And, and it's a very mo similar model that, that we would encourage a, a customer to do. If, you know, if you've got, you know, a significant amount of support that you need to make for one platform, you know, you, do, you need to invest in people to do that. But at the same time, that person, um, you know, is, is leveraging and, and being cross-trained, you know, in AWS and, and other, other providers. The, the hard thing is, I think, at least what we've seen is, you know, if you're if you're trained in AWS, you can pick up Google, uh, not, you know, super, super quick, but it's a little easier than, than Azure. Azure's just a little bit different, right? And I think that, um, you know, kind of getting that understanding in the environment is super important um, to make sure that, you know, you've got a team that is collectively working together, that brings together um, the right skill sets. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're right, you, you have to invest not only in the technology, but the people that's gonna help take, take you there. So going off of that one, um, my question with regards to obviously your cross-training. Now, personally, I started learning AWS first, and then I tried Azure and I failed miserably at it because I couldn't understand, uh, you know, where to find things. And this was way back. And I don't, I don't want to date myself, but when Azure had the sliding and two different portals for the access certain applications and services, uh, yeah, um, I find myself that I could not be an expert in Azure because I was engrossed in AWS is... Before I ask you our last question at the end of here, because I want to make sure that we get your perspective on multi-cloud, 
um, going with that is, are they creating, are we creating a new role here? Maybe like, I don't want to say a jack of all trades, but a jack of all clouds and that they're the governance to the expert architects of those clouds or? Yeah, the, I, I think we are. And I think that, you know, the organizations that we are supporting uh, are starting to kind of form around this. So, you know, I'll give you an, a, an example here, you know, before, you know, we had this kind of, you know, I'd say a, a financial team or a, security team and you know then you add the multi-cloud view of that and then there's some experts in each one of those i, I think that you know that there is a, a a concept where a lot of organizations are really trying to move um you know their cloud you know it used to be ccoe cloud center of excellence right into mm -hmm. um this concept of a cloud center of enablement actually one of our customers coined that uh so i have a little bit of credit for that but but the idea is that that those jack of all trades right with some specialty um, skills, right, and, and some individuals become this central point where at the end of the day, their job is to enable the organization to get the resources they need to build the applications they need to get the security, um, you know, infrastructure applied in the accounts to get the financial um, boundaries and guardrails in place to make sure the end-to-end -end automation happens. So the experience, right, for the user, for the end user, for that developer um, is, you know, as simple as I'm requesting a brand new cloud account as a sandbox account to try things out. And it shows up in a matter of minutes, right? It's something that's available, very frictionless, very quick. And that is really what we find is in a, again, to try to get to unlock true innovation, that's what kind of makes that that work and and having those folks that are very universal across that is um is extremely important that are always kind of keeping that eye on enablement um you know not traditional you know security seen as the group that says you know that, that kind of slaps your wrist and says no you can't do it so my next question well you actually mentioned silos all right and i remember in the data center world and I, that's where i come from uh, server admins, Active Directory admins, network admins, database admins, and everybody had to figure the next person, the next hop to, to talk to. And you always blamed it on the network because it was the common denominator between everything. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think those are going away. Um, there was a point where, you know, cross training was a huge thing. I need you to learn, you know, Windows and Linux and a cross training. That was much easier than learning Azure and AWS, in my opinion. Uh, the, the commands and everything to kind of go off. They were really a little bit easier to do. But is it worth it for the cost aspect to run multiple clouds with multiple people with different skill sets? I mean, you really have to do this as a bottom-up approach, in my opinion. You have to talk to people. Like, those who are willing to learn multiple clouds, you're going to have an AWS guy that says, yeah, sure, I'll learn Azure. Uh-huh. They're, they're not going to. Is it really worth it from a cost, not only from a cloud services, but from a skill set to a company. Well, here's the thing I will say, um, it typically makes the most sense to focus, um, to, uh, to not spread this as a, you know, 33, 33, 33% spread across providers, right? Um, you know, and, or, or even 50, 50 in a lot of senses. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense there. Usually there's economies of scale that you get by simply investing more into one provider than another, right? You know, AWS has, enterprise discount programs yep. um, you know azure has 
you know, a number of things used to be under their kind of enterprise agreements. And now they've kind of reformed those. But but there are some good degrees of just volume savings that you can get that in most cases will far um, out um, outperform in terms of cost, you know, the the ability to just have, you know, just uh, an equal spread again. And that's where, you know, I go back to the one of the first things around trying to make sure that you're looking at what is going to enable your team and, and mission and projects to go further faster, right? And, you know, that's where that total cost kind of comes into play. So, you know, as an example, um, you know, if you, if you don't have the experts, it's going to take a long time to kind of train them in a certain provider. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, multi-cloud in, you know, that, you know, I, I can go from one provider to the next provider and move an application and things like that. That's, that's um, you know, I think it's a flawed view of thinking, especially in 2021, where we're starting to see a lot of organizations, you know, just really see great economies of scale. You're seeing all the time people sign up for a uh, big organization say, hey, we're moving from the data center. We're moving, um, you know, 90, you know, 90, 80, 70%, whatever those workloads from, you know, data center into the cloud. And we've standardized on one provider because it's going to help us to do that, right? It, it, when you start to think about potential data transfer costs from one provider to another, those things have to be considered in the upfront decision-making process because that is expensive. It is no cost to throw your money or throw your data in the cloud, right? It is very expensive to pull that back out or to pull it between cloud people, even pull it between regions, right? Um, and, and that's where, you know, you know, engineering is so important to kind of think through what is the use case for the application? You know, it, it, what is the services that's gonna really help us, you know, move, um, you know, really move further forward? And, you know, in some cases, you know, maybe there is a less optimal service, but the data exists in one provider, we should probably use that provider because of the overall total cost, uh, you know, of ownership of that application. I think data transfer is something that's not considered right away. Uh, paper, everybody's like, all right, let's put it in there. We're going to access it. And then all of a sudden they're using multiple clouds. And guess what? They're accessing petabytes of data and realizing that their cost did not come from the services. It came from the data traversing, not only cloud providers, but regions. I mean, that's actually a huge amount of cost. And when you go in there for cost optimization, you're looking at like, can we center this into a region? Can you move all the stuff here? The cost that you're spending on those services does not even come close to the cost you're spending on data transfer between those applications and those services. No, completely agree. And again, like you said, it is something that gets very overlooked very quickly. Um, and, and until it's too late, um, you know, again, we, we, we have the benefit of working with some really large government and commercial organizations. And, you know, when they're, um, you know, kind of thinking about this problem, you know, one of those, you know, basically made a decision five years ago and they were, you know, in the process of, um, you know, basically building this giant data lake. Um, and, and they made, basically said, you know what, we, we are doing all of that in AWS and therefore, you know, for them, again, going back to that, that footprint, like 90% of where their costs are, are in AWS, because that's where their data is, right? And that taking into account that, you know, again, they're constantly adding more and more data from different sensors and different devices that, you know, on a daily basis, or, you know, adding, you know, in some cases, petabytes of data, like that is, you cannot ignore that part of, of, of the architecture. 
and um, think that, okay, well, you know, that, that has to be just a really a, a big part of your considerations and how you're designing for what a, what, what a multi-cloud approach looks like. And maybe in some cases it makes sense that it's easier to kind of fork some of the data off that you would want to use, you know, a service that maybe it hasn't, you know, there is an equivalent in AWS or it's not an equivalent in Azure. And you want to push that into the other provider. But in some cases, it's better just to push the data there um, and do whatever work that you need to do there um, versus trying to make that completely fully um, integrated, right? And, and so again, that's where you know a lot of planning, a lot of engineering is super important uh, to make sure that you don't go down a path that becomes very, very cost prohibitive very quickly. I actually have a customer who has deployed duplicate environments in separate regions so that the data did not traverse between them because it was cheaper to have the environments up and running separately than it was cheaper to transfer the cost. Brian, my last question for you, and I'm gonna put you on the spot here. What is your recommendation for companies that wanna go multi-cloud? I know it's not a cut and dry, but what recommendation yeah. would you give to somebody or an enterprise says, we're thinking about going multi-cloud? Yeah, and you know, I think that at the core of it is don't go multi-cloud to avoid, as we've talked about, I think so far here, to avoid quote, quote, vendor lock-in. The reality is you're gonna be locked into a vendor for a specific type of service, right? You know, um, there is a tremendous amount of innovation that organizations can see and realize by using, um, you know, the higher level managed services in each provider, right? You know, you wanna turn on um, you know, AWS recognition um, to it kind of unlock some AI and ML services. Well, that's great. And that's an easy button, right, to be able to do that. Don't expect the equivalent service to exist in every single other cloud provider, or, you know, or vice versa. Like those types of things, I think that you, you really have to consider what it is that you're doing um, and go into it with a very open mind. Don't rush into that decision. Think through um, what it is that, that you're going to be doing. Um, and then again, I, you know, again, I, I personally love the idea of using multi-cloud from a, a view of what's going to help you go faster, um, what's going to help you build the services that you need to get your organization, to get your applications, to get, in some cases, you know, if you're completely digitally transforming your business and, and you know, doing some, some giant moves to unlock the power of all the data that you have, you have to think through that and where that data lives, where your users are, are going to be the most uh, comfortable, familiar, what your training plan is to get there, and then kind of look at all of that and say, okay, well, what makes the most sense? And, and typically standardizing the majority on one with some other smaller purpose-built um, applications to help get the rest of the way there um, and, and, and give that option you know, for your team to move forward. So that's kind of my recommendation. Now, Brian, you're echoing some of the same thoughts as my previous guest. That's really interesting to hear them. All right, everybody, remember this is a week-long series on multi-cloud with public cloud leaders and experts. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, the notification. I have more content on the way. Brian, thank you so much for joining me for the show, and I look forward to doing more in the future. John, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yep, have a good one.